this is going to be a good morning because we have a special guest with us, um, pastor from uh, the Branch Church. Uh, Travis Troyer is with us. Uh, I've gotten to know him primarily through Off the Wall. So uh, Off the Wall is a ministry that I have the opportunity of, of uh, being on the uh, care board. Is that what it's called? Care board. And uh, so we, our responsibility on the care board is to care for the staff of Off the Wall, which he is one of the lead staff members of, uh, I don't know your official title. What's your... <laughs> it's the it's VIP, very important person at Off the Wall. So uh, yeah, he is he is vital there. I've gotten to know him, gotten to know his heart. He's got a love for God, a love for people, seeing people discipled. And man, it is my honor. And hey, I need you guys. Give me everything you got. Let's give Pastor Travis a big welcome. Oh, yeah, I got. I forgot to tell him. So we're, we're going to have fun. So he, I, um, oh, yeah. I, I got to do, so I heard his message earlier in the first service, but what we're going to be doing is I'll be uh, on the front row there taking notes like you would be taking notes in your, in your so you can follow along as he's preaching, bringing the word, I'm going to be following along. So uh, the notes on there will be my notes, not his. So let's have fun with this. Let's go. <laughs> Should be good, right? <laughs> All right, Jeremiah chapter 30, Hope in Crisis. Uh, you guys ready? Woo! All right. Uh, so I was in Josh's office earlier, and, and Josh and I have a very similar love language. Uh, it's called whiteboards. I love myself some whiteboards, and, and his office is plastered with them. Uh, what I love about a whiteboard is, is that it's white, and then you have all of these colored markers. And you can do all kinds of cool stuff on it. And, and a whiteboard is kind of like background or context, uh, and I know you guys talk about that a lot. Uh, if you have that clear background, the text on it pops out. It makes more sense because you can see it more clearly. Uh, and when we talk about hope in crisis, the backdrop or the context of hope throughout all of Scripture that, that I would propose to you is the sovereignty of God. And so as we enter, experience, walk through crisis, we have to keep the sovereignty of God as our backdrop, as our whiteboard, so to speak, in our lives. What the sovereignty of God means, and maybe you've heard that term and, and thought about it, most of the time people think God is all-powerful. He's sovereign. He's over everything. God is seated on the throne. God can do whatever He wants because He is God and He is there, which is true. That's one aspect of the sovereignty of God. The other aspect is that God has a plan. God knows what he's doing. And he has the rule and authority and power to see that plan through. You guys ever have a plan and then it doesn't work? Here's my Friday. We have a big fall festival plan this weekend for our church. Like, I, I, I mean like, like fall festival, like there's a big tent hanging up, like huge tent. We have carnival games we, we have like everything set up. It's like a mini VBS for our kids this fall because we couldn't do VBS this, this summer, obviously. So we get a call Friday afternoon, and this is supposed to start Friday night, that says, hey, all of these people are mandated to quarantine because they have COVID exposure, and they're like all the people that are supposed to be running the fall festival. And we're like hours away, Right? Uh, and so we're like, what are we going to do? Like, like, how are we supposed to handle this crisis, so to speak? And, and I'm like a couple days removed, but, but maybe you've experienced that. The crisis always seems bigger in the moment, doesn't it? 
It's always a huge deal in the moment. And, and, and what happened is uh, we just pushed it back two weeks. We just said, hey, we'll just, we'll just bump it back two weeks. Like, and you're like, oh, okay, not a big deal. But like, it was a big deal on Friday, right? Friday afternoon, like, this is a big deal. Like, what are we going to do? Who's going to contact everyone? What are we going to do with all this chicken we bought? Like, we got to find a, you know, like, you're trying to figure all that stuff out. It's, it's a big deal. But they're like, hey, we'll just bump it back two weeks. Like, it's okay. We can calm down a little bit. And see, when we think about crisis and hope, we've got to remember that hope gets above the crisis, Hope looks past the crisis, but also hope is reminded of past crises. Uh, a little bit about me. My wife is uh, from Northern Ireland. Uh, it's a whole other story uh, for another day. Uh, but anyway, so anytime you're trying to marry someone from a different country, you've got to get them into the country, and it's not as easy as you might think it is. It's a lot of paperwork, it's a lot of money, um, but it's worth it. And anyway, my wife and I were engaged and we're working through the process and the lawyer that we had hired at the time says, yeah, she can go back to Ireland for her friend's wedding. Shouldn't be a problem. It was a problem. My wife goes back for the wedding. She can't get back in the country. It's like five months till our wedding. Like, what are we supposed to do? Well, wait till the wedding. Okay, wasn't expecting that. My life went into a crisis for like five months. When you unexpectedly, you know, take the person you're planning to marry very shortly and and then put an ocean between you and say you can't cross that ocean, uh, that creates a lot of stress. That becomes a crisis for you. I experienced a lot of anxiety, a lot of like even panic attacks. Like there's just so much stress in my life in that moment. Um, Because you're trying to plan a life together, you're trying to plan a wedding, you can't be together, everything's digital, you guys are used to that by now. Um, You guys know what it's like, you can feel me. Uh, It was a very, very difficult time for me. Uh, But now, looking back, I didn't really trust God, I couldn't see a way forward, all I was thinking about was how I was feeling, what I had to go through, what I was experiencing, and God had to teach me a lot of things through that process. He had to teach me about trusting him. He had to teach me about about clinging to him. I wasn't able at points in time to get above the crisis. I couldn't see past the crisis. But the more that I learned how to do that, the more calm I became, the less I stopped freaking out, and the more I enjoyed the present. We also uh, just gave birth to our second son in April, uh, right in the middle of a pandemic, Uh, her family was supposed to come over and meet their new grandson in April. They're like, well, obviously you can't come over. Um, maybe, maybe, you know, July. Well, okay, maybe August. Okay, maybe you're not going to come over. Well, we had, we had tickets booked to go over there in December. And now we're getting to the point of like, maybe January? Maybe March? You know, like it may end up being a year till they get to meet their new grandson. And, and we get to see them. It might be two years since we get to see family. And it, it, like, these, are, these are natural, maybe not big crises, but things we have to experience. And, and in the midst of it, we are looking for hope. We're trying to find hope. And if we try to find hope in this world, if we try to find hope outside of Christ, it's going to be empty. It's always going to be on to the next thing. And so hope has to get above that crisis. It has to look past it. And we have to learn from our past times when God has shown himself to be faithful. So let's jump to chapter 30 uh, of Jeremiah. 
And, and to kind of sum this up, I would, I would give you this statement. Faith is the way through the crisis. Faith is the way through the crisis. These chapters in Jeremiah, uh, we're getting to a point where it's been pretty gloomy. Uh, it's going to start getting brighter. You know, Jeremiah is going to start to bring some hope into the picture in a very hopeless situation. Uh, they're being sieged. Uh, they're basically being taken over by Babylon at this point in time. Jeremiah is locked up in the court uh, because he prophesied some stuff that the king didn't really like. And so he said, well, you're going to, you know, we'll just keep you over here for now, not let you run around too much. Um, oftentimes, you guys have probably learned prophets say things that a lot of people don't like, and it causes them trouble and pain. Jeremiah 30, verses 1 through 3, says this, the word, of the, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord. And I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. I love, he, I love that he says, days are coming, declares the Lord. you got to look past, right? you got to look forward. you got to believe that days are coming when I will restore the fortunes of the people. There's a promise of hope there. In the midst of everything falling apart, in the midst of an enemy army invading your city right now, in the midst of you being locked up in the court, days are coming when I will restore the fortunes of my people. And there's a very important wor two words there. I will. Who will do it? Will Jeremiah do it? Will somebody else do it? No, the Lord speaking says, I will. I call it the I will hope of God. That phrase, I will, in these chapters is used almost 60 times. And it's usually referring to one of two things. Judgment or restoration. The Lord says, I will judge. I will take care of evil. You guys ever sit there and go, God, why aren't you doing anything? All this evil, all this stuff all around me. Like, are you just watching? Like, what are you, like, are you going to do anything? And the Lord says, I will judge. But God, what about us? Like we're oppressed, it's awful, all the things we're experiencing, all the things that are being taken away from us. God, are you going to do anything? He says, I will restore. I will do it. It's the I will hope of God. You jump down to verse 12. For thus says the Lord, your hurt is incurable and your wound is grievous. There is none to uphold your cause, no medicine for your wound, no healing for you. All your lovers have forgotten you. They care nothing for you. For I have dealt you the blow of an enemy, the punishment of a merciless foe, because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. Why do you cry out over your hurt? Your pain is incurable, because the, your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. I have done these things to you. Therefore, all who devour you shall be devoured, and all your foes, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall be plundered, and all who prey on you I will make prey. For I will restore the health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord. 
They were full of self-inflicted wounds. Do you guys notice something repeated in that passage? He gives the reason why His judgment has come. He gives the reason why they're in this state of hopelessness right now. He says, because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant, he repeats that. He says, you have self-inflicted yourself. You have brought this upon you. There's no doctor that can fix you. There's all your lovers that you've ran off to have all gone. You're lonely, you're in pain, and there's no one to help you. But then in verse 17, he says, For I will restore health to you. And your wounds, those incurable wounds that you have, I will heal. I will do it. The Lord is the only one who can bring you to health. The Lord is the only one that can restore. The Lord is the only one that can bring true hope into hopelessness. Do you believe that? See, hope in this world will leave you in a sad condition. These wounds were beyond human human help. And it was God is what they needed. Jump over to chapter 31. And I've got to mention this passage again because it's so good. It's not on the notes. Verse 4. Again I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. And again you shall adorn yourselves with tambourines, and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. And I just love that because Josh is not a fan of tambourines. But the picture that he's giving them is is one of, of music and celebration and dancing and joy. It's like, hey, we're gonna like we're gonna have parties again. We're gonna celebrate. We're going to eat good food. We're going to have a good time. We're going to get a bunch of people together and just, just sell. How many of you guys like a good celebration, right? Yeah, like just a good cookout, some good food, some good friends. It's a good time. And in the midst of their situation, like they weren't out having good times. They were oppressed. They were, in, in some sense, enslaved. They were locked down. And Jeremiah says, God is bringing times. There is hope that we will dance again, that we will sing again, that we will rejoice again. Time is coming. He will do it. Verse 10, chapter 31. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him, and he will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from his hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord. Over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd, their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice and dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy, I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Are you satisfied with his goodness? I love that picture. 
Verse 25, for I will satisfy the weary soul and every languishing soul I will replenish. Your soul ever needs satisfied? Do you ever need replenished by the Lord? We can try to drink from a lot of different wells. We can try to feed our empty souls. But the Lord is the only one who will fill us, who will satisfy what we truly need. He's the only one that can replenish us and empower us to live this life out, to get through whatever crisis we find ourselves in. I love this. As God's people will be radiant over his goodness. That word radiant, you could also say, would glow. God's people would glow over his goodness. So as you sit and meditate upon the goodness of God, there's something in your soul, there's something in your spirit that that is refreshed, it's satisfied. And out of that, there's just a glow about you. No matter what the crisis is that you find yourself in, no matter what the obstacle is that you find yourself facing, the goodness of God satisfies our souls. And the knowledge and the faith and believing in the goodness of God will fill us with hope as we walk through the crisis. Does God's goodness make you radiant? Chapter 32, God tells Jeremiah to buy this field, which I find interesting. And so he's kind of locked up in the court, and and, and he says, this this cousin's going to come, I believe, and he's going to try to have you buy your uncle's field. Um, And so he he does this whole thing where he buys this field, like exchanges money and a deed and everything, which doesn't make logical sense at the time. It's like, go buy this field, but then the Babylonians are going to come in and take everything. Okay, you got a field that now the Babylonians control everything. So why would he be buying the field? He buys the field and the Lord tells him to do it as a sign that even though you're about to be invaded, you're about to be sieged, hope is not lost. There will come a day when buying and selling will return. There will come a day when these transactions are happening all the time. You will own things again. Things will start back up. It's almost like coming to someone now and saying, hey, start a new restaurant. It's the perfect time, right? To open that new restaurant you've been longing to do. You can only have so much capacity and you know, have to do takeout most of the time. It's not a great business model. God's telling him, do something virtually impossible right now because it's a sign of something of what I'm gonna do later. And so he tells them to buy this field, and then in verse 16 of chapter 32, he prays. He says, After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord, God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And in his prayer, he continues to go on, and he just extols the Lord. He just says, God, you're awesome. You're great. There's nothing you can't do. It's, it's like a worship prayer that's just happening with him and the Lord. And you get to the bottom and it says, Behold, verse 27, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? 
You know, and Jeremiah is just praying and said, nothing is too hard for you, God. And then God says, behold, I am the Lord. Is anything too hard for me? I mean, how many of you guys this morning need God to tell you that? You're sitting there right now, and you need God to look you in the eye and say, Behold, I am the Lord. Is anything too hard for me? Like, Why do you think this is too hard for me to do? Why do you think I can't change you? Why do you think I can't get you through whatever it is that you're going through? Why are you trying to do this all yourself? I am the Lord. Is it too hard for me? Do you realize who I am? Can you get above that crisis? Can you look past that crisis? Can you see me all the times along the way that I've been faithful with you through all of these crises in life? I am the Lord. Is anything too hard for me? Then in chapter 33, look at verse 14. Behold, the days are coming declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness." love this. He says, you know what? Messiah's coming. The Savior's coming. This seems terrible right now. But there is one who will save. I'm going to send my own son to live a sinless, perfect life. To be mocked, beaten, and ridiculed by the people that he desperately loves. He's going to die a criminal's death on a cross and be crucified. And three days later, he's going to rise again for the redemption of the people. He will atone for sins. He will be the sinless sacrifice for people. He'll be the Savior of the world. The day is coming. And as we sit here today, we say that day has come. And we rejoice in that. And we look back And we say, thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. Thank you for doing for us what we couldn't do on our own. The Lord is our righteousness. I love that phrase. Because we can't be our own righteousness. See, what God calls us to do is to live from His righteousness, not live for our own. And the temptation is in our lives is to try to live for our own righteousness. God, I've done X, Y, and Z, and hopefully one day I'll stand righteous before you if I've done enough good things or if I haven't messed up too bad, right? And every time I fail, I try to make it right, and I fail, and I try to make it right, but I always feel like a failure. Except when I receive the righteousness of Christ, when I surrender my life to Him, and I become part of the family of God, And I stand in His righteousness. One that I didn't deserve. One that through just faith and trust in Him, I received as a free gift out of His grace and His mercy. When I stand in that righteousness, I can live from that. 
I can be secure day in and day out. And when I stumble and fall, I can get right back up again and keep going. When I enter the crisis, when I find myself in the midst of the crisis, I can get down on my knees and say, God, I need your help. See me through it. Because I know you can and I know you will. We are his people and he is our God. He's bought us with the precious blood of Christ. It's a beautiful thing to be his. I know in our lives, oftentimes, we don't want to be anybody's. I don't want anybody to own me, right? I'll tell you one thing. I want God to own me. I want to be his. I don't want to be somebody else's. I want to be God's. A couple final thoughts for us this morning. Faith is the way through crisis. You see a lot of judgment in Jeremiah. Judgment was not the end of God's plan. Do you realize that? Sometimes we feel like judgment's the end. But all throughout Jeremiah, there was judgment upon judgment upon judgment. And you see this a lot in the Old Testament, right? There, there's a lot of judgment there on the disobedience of God's people, of the waywardness of God's people. But God's judgment always has a purpose. And that purpose is that you would recommit yourself to Him. That you would turn and repent from your ways and turn back to God. That you would grow, that you would mature, that, that you would strengthen your relationship with Him. When the pandemic began, I said, you know what, I'm going to study Ezekiel. I'm not sure why I said that. That was, that was probably a silly move. But I'm reading Ezekiel. I have like no idea what's going on in this book. Like it, 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 it's crazy. It's one of the craziest books I ever read in the Bible. But, but as I read Ezekiel, I'll never forget. There's one phrase that, that is just repeated over and over and over again. I just kept seeing it. And in my Bible, just like underline it, underline it, underline it. Because I saw it so much. It says this. That you may know that I am the Lord. That you may know that I am the Lord. I just keep, I'm like, is this in every single chapter of Ezekiel? That you may know that I am the Lord. And in the midst of all of this judgment, God's purpose is that you may know that he is the Lord. That's what Jeremiah is saying. In the midst of all of this judgment and all of these things that are happening, God wants you to know that he is the Lord. That nothing is impossible for him. That, that you would turn from all of these empty, vain things. That you would stop looking at all these things and thinking this is where hope is found and you realize that hope is truly found in Him. And that He will satisfy your soul. So I want to encourage you this morning, no matter where you're at, no matter what your story, what your journey is, that you would fix your eyes on Jesus. And that you would allow faith in Him, keeping your eyes on Him, to move you forward through whatever it is that you're going through. Because he will lead you and he will see you through. Let me pray for you. God, thank you. Thank you so much that you are the God of the impossible, that you are the God, the God who is above the crisis and will help lead us through the crisis. And God, that even as we look back, we see your faithfulness throughout our lives, throughout what we've experienced, throughout our journey. God, this morning, would you help us to trust you? God, would you help our unbelief? God, would you strengthen us 
God, would you take our eyes off the things of this world? Would you help us to fix it upon you, we pray. In Jesus' name.